Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello again. I'll be brief, don't worry. You're listening to my time capsule, but not the normal episodes where people tell me the five things from their life they would like to have in a time capsule. This is one of our Christmas time capsules, where various guests from past episodes kindly tell me the one thing they would put in a Christmas time capsule, hence the title. Some more guests from our very first year today. This is a repeat, don't worry. We did put this out in 2020, but on a daily basis, in the form of an advent calendar. In fact, you may even remember it. One a day for 25 days. Fucking annoying. Anyway, here they are as a nice bunch, so you can enjoy them all together, with far less chat from me. Speaking of which... John Chalice, we're going to put something into a Christmas time capsule. So what do you think of if I say Christmas time to you? Christmas time, you're usually uh, involved in pantomime. Well, I have been, anyway, for the past 30 years. Eh? And so you get into a sort of ritual. You've got one day off, which is Christmas Day, mm-hmm. and usually two days, uh, the, the two days either side of that, that's uh, Christmas Eve and Boxing Day, you've got two shows on each day, so you can't really do much. No. So uh, one year I decided to take a year off, and we decided to go to Jordan. It's a hot place to spend Christmas, isn't it? Really hot, you know, um, which is nice in one way, but it's not very Christmassy. No. But the only thing that tells us that it's Christmas, really, in the hotel that we're staying at is uh, there is a rather sort of bedraggled-looking Father Christmas and all his reindeer and his sledge (laughs) above the door. So, oh, it must be Christmas then. So here we go. We get dressed up to the nines. We go down to dinner and there's hardly anybody there. In fact, there's nobody there at all. But we are being entertained by a sort of three-piece combo, uh, which seems to come from... uh, a different part of the world. Their builders coming from Norway. <laughs> anyway, there they are singing uh, lovely Christmassy songs like Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way. 
Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sly. Sly? Yes, pronounced <laughs> like that. So this reduces, as you can imagine, uh, to hysterics. Yeah. Particularly after a few drinks. <laughs> and uh, it's a bit of a spa, this place. So you can have these uh, rather exotic Middle Eastern uh, treatments. Mm. And uh, we decided, uh, I think uh, the girls went off and had their, their faces attended to. And, um, and Keith and I decided to go through the... Uh, the hot tub, the cold tub, and then the massage. Hmm. And there was this extremely dangerous-looking uh, Syrian gentleman. Uh, enormous, he was. <laughs> Not very much on top, but he uh, he had some pantaloons of some description on. Hand bare feet, and we went into this room, and it was reeking of uh, that stuff you rub into yourself if you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the idea was that he pummeled you, Mm. And then you lay on the floor, and then he trod on you and walked all over you. Great. And uh, <laughs> I remember looking at him thinking, why is it all the people who do these treatments look so unfit? Yeah. And suddenly you've got <laughs> these feet going... <laughs> all over your back, you know. Um, mm. And eventually uh, the torture's over and you come out, and actually, I have to say, you feel pretty good. But again, it's so bizarre because you think it's Christmas and, uh, and mm. it's hot outside and... Uh, the girls did all right. They looked much better afterwards, as, as I hope we did. <laughs> OK, before we move on, here are some important questions. What would a chair look like if your knees bent the other way? Also, how much deeper would the ocean be if there weren't any sponges in it? And, of course, is the hokey-cokey really what it's all about? Right, let's find out what stand-up comedian Lucy Porter loves about Christmas. But it's not those jokes. So um, is there anything about Christmas that you cherish when you look yes. back on it? Yes. Do you know, the one thing that I would like to put in my Christmas time capsule is, well, board games generally, but I didn't know if that would be too too general for you. No, um, no I think it's fine. They all turn out the same, don't they, board well, games? Well, they do. They're all basically either Monopoly or Scrabble or that one where you have to chase uh, each other around the board, frustration or whatever. There's there's very few sort of variants. Um, but I love getting together with family and having an actual focus for your arguments because I think Christmas can be so much about kind of diffuse tension and general sense of uh, unease and resentment, bitterness, guilt. And to actually put all that on to a board game I think is incredibly therapeutic <laughs> and helpful so because uh, my my mum and dad were quite keen on board games I absolutely loved them but my sister was the one member of the family who just didn't get it at all and there's something really fun about playing board games with <laughs> a number of competitive people and then someone who just wants it to be over. I just want it to be over. Um, so, yeah, so my if I had to sort of be more specific about which board games, there's two that I would nominate. The first one is Trivial Pursuit because that was a massive feature of the 1980s, yeah. which was my kind of, you know, Christmas heyday in that it was the sort of big family Christmases. We used to go to my grandparents in Coventry or over to Ireland to my dad's side of the family. And Trivial Pursuit absolutely spread like herpes um, <laughs> in the 80s. Families didn't give herpes to each other, but we did give Trivial Pursuit to each other. And, um, <laughs> oral. And, and, yeah. <laughs> like, it was like oral thrush. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, uh, it was I loved Trivial Pursuit, and it started me with a sort of lifelong obsession with quizzing and general knowledge. And, you know, until then... 
I used to enjoy a quiz, but that kind of stepped up to the next level for me because I used to take all the cards and memorize all the answers mm. because I was not above cheating at that stage in my life. <laughs> and uh, and there's still stuff from, you know, you think, oh, there's probably some names of 1980s pole vaulters or, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of kind of political questions I would still answer East or West Germany. <laughs> uh, because I was stuck in trivial pursuit time in my head. So, yeah. uh, and all, all of the ritual of the cheeses and which ones you want to get first, because it added a little bit of strategy and gameplay on top of general knowledge quizzing. And mm. it's tense. I mean, there is no doubt about it. Trivial pursuit can bring out the worst in people. Oh, yeah. It's, Especially when it gets near the end, that bit where you, you yeah. throw and you are in the center. And then they, yes. pick, they pick the subject for you. what is your weakest subject then Mike generally I would say all of them but I I think probably geography oh really although my wife would claim I'm quite good at geography but I don't think I am yes it is it's the trivial pursuit version of geography which is very much cities and rivers really Mm, that's no good for me no which city is more east or which city is yeah 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 I don't know exactly well yeah I mean Dublin is further north than london which right. i remember that came up uh, once and i was quite surprised but yeah oh, you have remembered them then oh god yeah no they're all in there somewhere <laughs> there's a lot of things i don't remember like my first kiss and uh, <laughs> your children's names yeah those unimportant details mm-hmm. but i do remember the fact that dublin is further north than london and that will always serve me well i would say yeah that's an important thing to have well there you are that's a marvelous thing well i'll definitely put a compendium Yes, a nice. Well, but a compendium sort of eighties one. So Trivial Pursuit. There was one called Ulcers, which was like um, it was kind of like Monopoly, except you had to assemble a kind of a company. So you had to hire like a chairman and under managers and secretaries. I don't really remember that much about it. What a fantastic Christmas you must have had! It was the dullest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like just you know. Really, a sort of middle management board game uh, where, you know, practice being in HR. But I remember all the secretaries were women, though, and all the presidents were men because that was was the 80s. Yep, uh, very much so. Well, I think we should invent our own game, though, for Christmas, uh, particularly for you, which would be something like uh, Split the Family or something like that, (laughs) where you you pick a card and it says, tell your mum what you really think of her. Yes, 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 yes. On the third go, you must tell a secret that you've been keeping for many years <laughs> that will rip the family apart. Yeah, I think... Which they, piece they... of clothing did you destroy that belonged to your sister? <laughs> yes. Yeah, make it explicit rather than uh, sort of swallowed rage, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Let it all out. Yeah. We'll join Lucy again later on in the podcast. But for now, let's hear from comedian and actor Rufus Hound. So we're going to ask you to put in something that you love about Christmas and then also maybe something that you loathe about Christmas, if there is anything. What could there possibly be not to love about Christmas? Indeed. All right, well, the first thing I was considering putting in to the capsule was a box of Weetabix. (laughs) It's so Christmassy, I can't believe it. (laughs) Well, that's it, isn't it? The reason I was going to put in a box of Weetabix was that for a number of years... 
my mum did all of the things. I mean, you know, to modern ears, I'm about to make a set of gender assertions that were true of my family growing up that I'm not necessarily advocating for or promoting in 2020. Fair enough. Uh, just to make that very clear. But uh, growing up, my mum did all of the big mum Christmas stuff, you know, wrapping all the presents and uh, all the cooking for Christmas Day and what have you, mm. and would go to some lengths to make it as special as she could. And so, therefore, you know, the parma ham over the melon or a prawn cocktail for a starter, then 3,000 types of veg with the turkey and gravy and, you know, a, a ham that would also be sliced. Would go the woman would go to town, Michael. Mm. However, I just never really liked Parma ham with melon. I mean, I still to this day am <laughs> not a huge fan of prawns in a prawn cocktail. And so one year, my mum, unbeknownst to me, for Christmas dinner, had cooked me an entirely separate Christmas dinner to everyone else as a joke. <laughs> and so when they all got the starter, which was a prawn cocktail. My mum gave me a bowl of Weetabix. <laughs> Brilliant. Because I love Weetabix. I've always loved Weetabix. I can eat an entire tower of Weetabix in a single sitting. It would not trouble me. I'd like it that much. And so my Christmas dinner that year was a bowl of Weetabix followed by a portion of her lasagna that she makes, which is my favourite thing to eat. Yeah. While they all had turkey and sprouts <laughs> and all of that malarkey. And then uh, for pudding... She'd made a trifle because I love trifle. Mm. And so everyone likes trifle and trifle's very Christmassy. So then we all shared the trifle at the end. But to me, a box of Weetabix going into the time capsule feels very Christmassy on the grounds <laughs> that it's representative of somebody who truly gets you and truly loves you going out of their way to do something sort of thoughtful and funny. Yeah. And if we're buying into Christmas being a time for families and bringing people together and, and, and love for one another, I think that the combination of loving, funny kindness from, you know, your mum mm. doesn't necessarily get better pronounced than with that box of Weetabits. No, it's beautiful. What's really lovely about it is that not only did she give it to you, which was a very funny thing to put it in front of you and say, well, there's yours, you Weetabix, everybody else yep. got the prawn cocktail. She didn't then say, <laughs> no, I'm only kidding, and then put prawn cocktail in there. She let you eat it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With me with a massive smile on my face. Because, yeah. you know, I've always been somewhat contrary. <laughs> so I, I think I've probably felt quite punk sitting there eating my Weetabix. <laughs> Fantastic to follow it through with each course as well, I think. Yeah. To then go, okay, right, now lasagna, because I know you like that best. Yeah. No, it's... Uh... It, it was really lovely. You know, you still sat there with everyone and you pull the crackers and uh, yeah. tell the crap jokes and, you know, get the little screwdriver set and all of that stuff. So, Tony Hawks, what is it about Christmas that you love? Well, I've grown to love less and less about Christmas. Um, it probably would be exaggerating to say I love anything about Christmas. <laughs> I, I, I quite like the getting together and the, and the sort of lunch part of it, or late <laughs> lunch or whatever, and the fact that families can get together. But that's pretty much it. And you can do that on a Sunday anyway. So... Christmas is totally unnecessary and superfluous and uh, 
wait till I get on to the negatives of it. <laughs> so, in fact, even that thing of receiving and giving presents, you don't... Well, I'm very against. Actually, no, I'm, I'm so out there on this. Uh, I think it's... I think Christmas is disastrous for the planet, for the ecology and environment. Buying presents for each other that they don't really need, using up the Earth's resources, wrapping them up, all for a sort of money-making exercise that doesn't need to, need to happen... I can think back to when I was at school and going going to school on the first day of term in January, and the first thing that we said to each other was, what did you get? Mm. So I think we're teaching children that, that happiness comes from material stuff and getting things. So I think it's a terrible message that we give. I think the question that should we want our children to be asking is, what did you give? And so we've got to look at the way the world is and why we are, why it looks like it does. <laughs> and I'm afraid to say Christmas doesn't help it at all, not one bit. And this is a sort of thing that if, if you had millions of people listening to this podcast, which you'll eventually get, obviously, I'd yes. probably get hate mail for this. Hate <laughs> mail. People are very, very attached to it. And this is an incredibly unpopular thing that I'm saying. But yeah. I wouldn't be saying it if I didn't think there was truth to it. I understand what people like about it and I know why they like it and I think a lot of it goes back to, to memories that they had, happy memories. But I would invite them to, to think more deeply and to say, well, yes, but how many of those presents that you were excited about are still with you? Mm. How many of those presents were still with you two months after you got them? Maybe even weeks after you got them. And in, in some cases with children, even half an hour after they've got them. Yeah, the stuff that makes that comes from the planet and the resources, and we're using them all up. Plastic is everywhere, packaging is everywhere. If if we said one Christmas we just said all we're going to do is give each other secondhand things, that would make a massive difference. Mm. But I mean, the other thing about it is, and maybe this is a a slightly male perspective as well as always being a bit lazy about presents. <laughs> I always saw Christmas presents as being a problem that needed to be solved. Mm. There was very little joy in it. It was like, oh, what am I going to get, Mum? What am I going to get, Dad? What am I going to get, my brother? Well, it was, I think buying presents or doing things for people is a great thing. I don't particularly like being told when I have to do it. So I'd like to buy somebody a pre I'd like to buy you a present, Mike. Mm. Uh, in mid-June, uh, but, but not, you're, you, you'll be surprised to hear you won't be getting a present from me at Christmas. <laughs> oh, no. That's ruined it. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right. I can absolutely see the argument. And, of course, as you get older, people say, what do you want for Christmas? Which, yeah. in a way, completely spoils the idea of it anyway because it's supposed <laughs> to be a surprise. So you telling them yeah. the thing you want <laughs> them right. to buy you, a bit yeah. absurd. And then the, my answer always is, Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I, if I want something, I get it, and I don't want much. Well, as you get really old, the question is, what do you want for Christmas? And the answer is to make it through the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, then. Well, I'm perfectly happy to accept that, and I'm going to put it into your time capsule. <laughs> well, do let me know how much hate mail I get. It's not coming through me, you know. I'm not going to take your hate mail. <laughs> oh, no, I have to get it myself. <laughs> yes, I will be giving out your address at the end of this. Well, Merry Christmas. Lovely. All right, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Christmas lights hung in front windows. Mm. I, have, uh, I have a real problem mentally 
because <laughs> trying to be somebody who's rational and and led by facts and you know study rather than rumor and, and nonsense and hearsay that anytime people want to talk about god i'm like look i get that you can have a personal relationship with a god but you have to know that that isn't real there is no god <laughs> when people say everything happens for a reason it absolutely doesn't it's all chaos we were born out of an explosion we're just here trying to make the best of it stop trying to convince yourself it'll all work out in the end or love wins that may well be what happens but you actually have to fucking work towards it stop <laughs> waiting for some magic thing to make it all better oh my doctor won't give me tablets but you know these homeopathy things somebody took a piss in a river nine thousand years ago and when i drink <laughs> it no it's all bollocks all of those irrational things that are not backed up by any evidence or study or thinking drive me mad so christmas right is a religious festival. It was uh, originally a pagan festival overtaken by the church because they couldn't inspire people to do their things. They just added their thing onto what was there already. Then you've got Father Christmas. Doesn't make a hair of sense. We keep strangers out of our house all year, but now some place going to come down the chimney. And who do we tell this to? Children. None of it makes any sense. I should hate Christmas, and I should hate any kind of ooga-booga thinking that goes on around it. But I love it, Mike. I love it. <laughs> and it is twinkling lights in people's windows are there to say that this magic, you know, it's the dead of winter. It's, it's coldest. It's uh, most miserable. We put these lights up and we say, fuck you to the darkness. Mm. Fuck you to the cold. Fuck you to the loneliness. Fuck you. This should be when we're at our saddest. Fuck sadness. Fuck separation. So when people pay hard-earned money to put lights in their front windows, that's not for them in the house. That's for making the people outside walking past the house go, oh, it's all right, isn't it? It's Christmas soon. And it's, it is like the practical application of hope and something increasingly we become more tribalized and more separate. Those lights aren't just viewable by people who are like me or who I agree with. They're for everyone because it's Christmas. <laughs> and I think that that is magic. It is magic. You're right. It's absolutely magic. And we will put it into your time capsule. They're going to glitter away and say to everyone, <laughs> we may not be able to see anybody this year, but it doesn't mean the other people aren't in your heart. No. Yeah. Do you want something I hate about Christmas? No. Good. You clearly love Christmas too much. I do. <laughs> uh, Rufus, thank you so much for taking the time to talk oh, to me. Thank you, Mark. Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. Okay, now we join comedian and BAFTA-nominated star of The MASH Report, Rachel Paris, and her husband, presenter and stand-up comedian, Marcus Brigstock. Who'd like to go first? You go first. <laughs> no, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> For uh, that is what Christmas is all about, <laughs> going first. It's so Christmassy, it's lovely. Oh, uh, my favourite thing about Christmas is singing the descants of old-fashioned Christmas carols at any cost in every circumstance. <laughs> Do you mean more than just hitting the five gold rings? No, not just that. As in, like, 
Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we hear thee cry. That kind of thing. You mean jazz carols. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And also the Christmas Day one, which is sort of Hark the Herald. Oh, yeah. That makes you almost want to believe in God, doesn't it? Absolutely. You love all that, don't you? We went we went to try and find some carols a few years ago on Christmas Eve for a sort of midnight mass service and ended up at a... Chris Dingle. Chris Dingle, who's not a bloke. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a thing with an orange with a load of sweets poking out of it on sticks. It was a service for small children. It was awful. Um, I thought it would be like a sort of nine lessons and carols situation. It was so and bad. it was the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. so I mean, bless them, the kids, I'm saying so bad cynically, the kids were having a lovely time. Yeah, mm. we snuck out halfway through. But I, I, was, <laughs> I was brought up in the church and then I went on to sort of be a chorister in, in various churches through my life. And so those descants are so fun to me to sing and when there's no one else singing even if it's just like a little quiet family get together or a really small group of people just singing (laughs) along I will hammer out that death count even if I can't really hit the notes I think it's really important that there's one person who's annoyingly singing the death count and just going for it yeah. I mean, I always really go for it when I'm singing along to Clarence Carter's Backdoor Santa. So I think that's the same. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Um, so I do mine. Yeah. I've thought of, um, so ignore these the very faint dysfunctional undertone of this. This is uh, <laughs> Christmas memories from my childhood, which is late at night on Christmas Eve when my mum, who would have done most of the work for getting Christmas ready, had gone to bed. My dad very pissed, (laughs) would announce that he might need some help finding and wrapping my mother's Christmas presents. Um. And uh, him going through stuff that he'd bought but not really remembered what it was or even who it was for and helping him, pissed, (laughs) wrap those presents is a a truly sweet Christmas memory. We used to just roar with laughter, (laughs) my sister and my dad and I. We'd sit round late at night. He and my sister probably were were legless, I think, and we'd help him wrap up Aww. gifts for my mum, half of which with, I think, things he wanted. So, <laughs> I've I've bought her a telly for the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and a drill. Yeah. <laughs> but it was good. It was really, really good fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Oh, fantastic. What a happy memory that is. Yet yeah, I can picture yeah. it now. Yes, my wife and her sister generally at Christmas, on Christmas Eve, at some point go off and wrap the presents for the stocking. And that involves yeah. an enormous amount of Baileys. And, yes. and then loud guffaws yeah. and giggling, which is... Uh, you know. And the following morning, there's so much sellotape wrapped around <laughs> these things because there had to be. It was the only way of sealing it shut. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Rachel Marcus, thank you so much. Happy Christmas, Merry man. Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> thank you, Marcus and Rachel. And congratulations on the baby. Now, it may be Christmas, but... Bah humbug. We still need to make a living. So here's a short break for some adverts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, welcome back to part two of, well, part two of My Christmas Time Capsule 2020. And let's rejoin the party with the lovely Anthony Head. Hymns are always written in the wrong key. Mm-hmm. No one can hit them. And I must admit, Christmas carols, as I've got older, some of them are harder. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to stop singing that desk cap. <laughs> yes, oh, I still do. I still <laughs> sing the desk cat that I learned when I was at school in the in the choir. Yeah, I cannot help myself, and it's rather sad when you're the you know the only one in the in the <laughs> congregation. <laughs> what the herald angels sing? Glory to that's <laughs> me. <laughs> so, in answer to your questions. What is my favourite thing about Christmas? And that is Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas, uh, especially since I met Sarah, because Sarah has made our Christmas this little bubble. It's a very special little bubble. But even when I I was a kid, I loved Christmas. And and my parents, we do things differently now, but my parents used used to go and sit on their bed on Christmas morning and they'd have a big sack by the, uh, there was a fireplace in, in, in their bedroom, mm. which was obviously Father Christmas's sack. Mm. Um, and, we, and my dad would sort of pull up a present at a time. <laughs> but I didn't realise we were not as well off as I thought we were. I just thought we were an artistic family. Mm. But, um, my favourite Christmas presents when I was little were made by my mum. I used to love dressing up. And my mum, for about, I don't know, about three, four years made me dressing up outfits but i mean like full-on i mean like when she made me a roman centurion it was the full-on not just she made it like the white tunic and everything mm. but with sort of fake leather sort of thongs not thongs like like a sort of skirt over it and yeah. and, a, and a fake leather bodice underneath the breastplate and a plastic helmet and everything just i mean just extraordinary wow and and she made me a viking outfit which was this sort of weird woolen sort of top and trousers <laughs> and the helmet was made out of papier-mâché i think then covered with tin foil <laughs> two things that looked like bananas coming out of this horns <laughs> <laughs> coming out which is quite extraordinary yeah it's fantastic because um, you don't realize when you're a child if your parents are rich or no, poor it's only in comparison to other people. And yeah. that's often when you're asking them to buy something that all the other kids are having. At the moment, I think those things are much clearer. 
I mean, my grandchildren are all talking about, I want a Nintendo Switch, you know. And you go, well, it's a Switch. I'll get you a light Switch. And it, 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 <laughs> A Nintendo Switch is about 400 quid, you know, and you think, oh. oh, wow. And yet all their friends have got them, so they think that it's what you should have. Back in my childhood, we are talking back in the uh, the late 50s, mm-hmm. um, the stuff was not advertised like it is now. No. I mean, I do remember one thing I did want, because there was a kid in my in my primary school that had, he had a model of Fireball XL5, which oh. I absolutely amazing but thinking back on it it was like a really crappy piece (laughs) with tiny little figures but um i used to play with i loved playing with toy knights when i got older and then one christmas the sitting room we had this little sitting room and it was locked for weeks before christmas and i finally came down you know it was like okay anthony you go downstairs and your presents and and i opened up the door and there was this castle made it's got like it had a little plastic fort that i'd had that was like on top of a of a, a mound like the, a keep and then sort of walls that they built around the outside and it was just with a with a track that went all the way up the mountain it was just beautiful yeah um i still got it somewhere I, I did my parents finally got me to take it out of our house while they were still alive um and i brought it back thinking that our girls would be really really taken by it and it was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that looks like someone's made it yeah, toy nights no that's not us no, no well, you know understandably but uh... so now it's, it's on its side somewhere in a shed <laughs> oh. but it is still there brilliant Apparently, they ran out of brown paint the night before Christmas. <laughs> As you do. I think, it, I think it was on Christmas Eve they were still making it. And, wow. And they, my dad was very, very proud of himself that he, he made some out of instant coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so it did smell for a little while. <laughs> well, I hope you're all enjoying yourself. I don't know how I'm getting all these links done. I mean, I went to the doctors the other day. I said, I'm having real trouble saying my F's, my T's and my H's. He said, well, you can't say fairer than that. Right up next, we have the lovely Janet Ellis. And as an ex-Blue Peter presenter with her sticky tape, what she chooses now may surprise you. Janet, to begin with, I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Happy and Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) And so, do you want to do something that you don't like? I, yeah. I mean, there's nothing quite like getting um, a beautifully wrapped present, is there? It's just part of it when it looks immaculate and somebody's gone to immense trouble with ribbons and a proper label and everything, and it won't come from me because I absolutely (laughs) hate wrapping presents. I'm really, really bad at it. And every single year, because there's quite a lot of us now, you know, Sophie has innumerable children, the children themselves have partners and their attendant families. So there's, there's quite a long list. Mm. And every single year, I think I ought to really start wrapping probably the 1st of December yeah. because I find it so painful to just do a few at a time. Just, you know, you're not very good at it. I Honestly, it's not my best thing. It's obviously, as I worked for the BBC for a long time, I can't say sellotape. So sticky tape, you know, lots of <laughs> sticky tape um, everywhere because I can't, even wrapping a box, I find tricky. I don't know why. I'm quite dexterous in other ways. I'm a good cook. I can sew, but presents absolutely defeat me. And always I leave it until, you know, that time on Christmas Eve when you're just thinking, I'd, oh, I'd quite like to this, this to stop now. You know, I'd like to close the door 
on the preparation and just open the door to the start of Christmas. And now I've got what seems like 50 million assorted presents to wrap and label. And um, I'm not very good at it. And I'm sort of ashamed (laughs) by how they look when I hand them over. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm really bad at it. I'm useless. Are you? Oh, terrible at wrapping things. I mean, that it looks like I've sort of just scrunched it round it. It's always yes. creased and far too much tape. No, it's just, it becomes the worst chore every year. And I'm, you know, and I like the idea of it. You know, I like choosing the paper and I try and find different labels and things. And also my handwriting is awful. So people do spend a lot of time going, who's this for? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about it. I just approach it like, you know, uh, the worst kind of homework. And therefore, a lot of that must go into it, not into the thought of the present, obviously, mm. and not hopefully into the way it's received, but that interim bit. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't just hand them the thing, you know, I've been close to it sometimes, but I wouldn't. <laughs> but I, yeah, even boxes, I can't seem to get right. I don't know what it is. I think maybe I'm going to leave all my wrapping to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> God bless Amazon, though. Where would we be? Well, I don't think they've got any financial worries. Funnily enough, I don't think they have. Mm. I was a bit worried, you know, about a month ago, but I think it's eased out now. I think they're well yeah. into the multi-billions. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Good. I was a bit worried about them, yes. <laughs> oh, Janet, all right. Wrapping presents, absolutely fine. See, I've tried to do funky wrapping. I've tried using, you know, old newspapers or whatever, because I've seen other people do that really well. And somehow with me, it just looks like, oh, my gosh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't look funky. It looks like a well-meaning six-year-old who hopefully will go on to do greater things, but they won't be involving anything dexterous. (laughs) So uh, what would you like to put into the Christmas time capsule that you don't like about Christmas, Lucy? I would probably say bread sauce can be consigned to history. (laughs) Um, Absolutely no idea why bread sauce is even a thing. I love everything about Christmas dinner. I'm absolutely an advocate of sort of proper roast potatoes. And my mum used to do like five kinds of potato with our Christmas dinner because she was catering for a largely Irish family. So we Mm. used to have roast, boiled, mashed chips and uh, occasionally a jacket if she was feeling adventurous so uh, I love everything about Christmas dinner I love parsnips sprouts cannot get enough of sprouts in every form we roast ours now but equally boiled to the point of mush is fine with me as well Mm -hmm. love cranberry sauce Um, but yeah bread sauce I just think is it's like well it's glue isn't it (laughs) it's a glue what was the one that they used to advertise and there was the man pasted to a board polycell polycell was it yeah whatever that it's basically that that. you could probably use it to paste yourself to a board and then (laughs) be thrown around (laughs) it's a strange thing i agree with you it is a really strange thing that actually you've got an enormous meal there's always too much food at a Mm. Christmas lunch and you Mm. desperately try to eat it all because it's so delicious whilst thinking I must leave space for pudding. Yeah. Uh, And then at the same time, there's this thing in the middle of the table, a bowl of it, which was made quite early and then goes cold (laughs) and sort of stodgy and that you're supposed to add to the meal to what bulk it up a bit. Yeah, because it's carb central, isn't it? I mean, it's just bread and... I mean, I don't even know... I've never actually made it, I'll be honest. But then also my mum used to stick an onion in it 
to try and give it some kind of flavour. And it's like, well, well, why not just fry an onion? Have fried onions with your Christmas dinner. That would be okay. Yeah. Or a slice of bread and butter. Also okay. What you don't want to do is basically boil the bread <laughs> until it tastes of nothing and then waste an onion by sticking it in with the bread sauce and then I presume just discarding it. It's The whole thing is wasteful and pointless. You throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just adds to the Christmas waste pile. Um, I mean, I also, uh, Christmas puddings also for me are a complete waste of time, but I'm aware that's more controversial. So I will let. Oh, yeah, no. Careful. Christmas pudding. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. You're obviously, I can see you bristle there, Mike. So. Well, you know, no, I don't want us to fall out. Well, I mean, it is Christmas. It's traditional that uh, somebody <laughs> should argue, but no. Okay. Well, if you'll let me not have bread sauce, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. I do, then I'll yeah. let you have Christmas have. pudding. Okay, yeah. all right, that's going in mine. That's in my <laughs> capsule. But you've got bread sauce in there. That's absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, Thank you, my love. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let yeah, that's enough now. That's enough. Fair. Thank you. La, 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 la. <laughs> I'll just be here until the New Year. Just come back to me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Hosanna in excelsis. <laughs> Griffries Jones, so what would you like to put into your Christmas time capsule? I do like Christmas. Last year, I had the great advantage, which I thought was great. I was in a show called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm. And we did 12 performances every week, including Christmas week. Yes. It was actually slightly better than working for Cameron McIntosh, <laughs> who, when I was doing Oliver, <laughs> Cameron McIntosh would say, you can have Christmas Day off, but you'll have to work an extra day in order to make up for it, which is precisely <laughs> what Scrooge says to Bob Cratchit. Indeed. <laughs> and what Dickens was so fundamentally against, yes. the idea that people thought of Christmas just as a commercial operation. But still, but and it was rather ironic to be in such a Dickensian production over Christmas with Dickensian <laughs> rules, pre-Dickensian <laughs> rules in operation, including the, the putting of a lot of children to work <laughs> on the stage. But, you know, never mind. I, I wasn't, not for me to question, but it proves that I am grossly in favour of commercial sentimentality of all kinds mm. at Christmas. So I'm, you know, I'm liable to sit and watch it's a wonderful life, and cry at the end of it, and cry over Christmas uh, moments like the Wind in the Willows, where we all sang uh, 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 in the bleak midwinter. Those things instantly, I'll well up with tears. A beautiful picture of Christmas will also make me sort of emotionally commit to it. But when it comes to decorating my own Christmas tree, I'm a grump. <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit complicated, but I am torn over Christmas. I'm a Christmas paradox. Mm. So what I love most about Christmas is the gathering, not so much my own family, although I love my family. I do love them. But it's the gathering of humanity. And as I say, and, and I like very much being in a show over Christmas, to be honest, because it limits the amount of time that's spent, you know, stoking the fires and eating turkey. And tears will roll down my eyes at the end of any form of Christmas representation, except, as it were, my own which I find stressful. Uh, years ago, when I had small children, and, you know, we only do Christmas for the children, don't we? 
especially if they can keep out of the way. <laughs> I remember once I was playing host. I used to play host at New Year. And we had a regime which nearly has been the destruction of my poor wife, whereas loads of family would arrive to indulge themselves at uh, our expense in the house until about two days after Boxing Day, and we'd see them disappear. And then the door would bang open, and in would come various louche characters with nowhere else to go in those days who'd also escaped from their own homes, Rory McGrath and his entire family, Clive Anderson and Andre Dzinski, and they'd all <laughs> roll in to my house and crowd into what was not so big. I've built an <laughs> extension because of them. And they'd roll in and party, and the party would go on. This was fine until I was in Thark at the Lyric, and I used to come home, and there were two endings to my coming home after a hard day, especially when you'd done two shows on a Saturday night. Either you'd arrive, sort of finally get in, having driven, I had to hire a car because the only people who work over Christmas, as you know, are actors. <laughs> the rest of the population, including train drivers, decide they can't work. <laughs> so I'd arrive, I'd come in, there'd be a gentle snoring sound and I'd have to creep around the house because everybody had gone to bed because they'd stayed up so late the night before. <laughs> Or I'd come in and they'd be in full party mode. I'd be exhausted and expecting to go on till six in the morning. This was a sort of alternate yes. nights of the New Year festivities. In the end, I got into my hired car and drove off to a nearby lay-by to have some time on my own <laughs> with a little bit of quiet. <laughs> That's how bad it used to be. Merry Christmas to you. You can see why I'm a good casting for Scrooge. Very good. Surely at that time when they were all partying in your house, you didn't drink, did you? No, that's another... I mean, there was a moment when these days it was... Well, it doesn't happen so often now, but the children in the old days used to drink, as children do when they mm. reach the age of about 20. And then I come down in the morning and find four open bottles of Chateau Margaux, <laughs> you know, the, the ones you were saving for the Christmas dinner had been opened, a little bit of it had been drunk, and another one had been <laughs> opened. <laughs> You'd wander around the house saying, who did this? And obviously because at a certain, and I have to say, you drinkers, at a certain, you need to reverse it. You need to start with the Chateau Margot. This is a word of warning to Christmas. Start with the Chateau Margot, keep the South African plonk, and bring that out as the night goes on. People don't notice what they're drinking. We're all just being very religious, just following the example of Jesus, bringing out the best wine at the end of the wedding. No, don't do that. Don't, because you, you come down in the morning and you find somebody's <laughs> put a cigarette out in your Chateau Margot Magnum after having drunk four glasses of it. <laughs> Rick Wakeman, so you're going to tell us something about Christmas that you love. Well, I've had a lot of Christmases, um, <laughs> which is, has an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is, is that I've had a lot of Christmases. The disadvantage, of course, is that I've probably had more. Well, in fact, I've definitely had more than I've got coming in the future. But I intend mm. to have as many as possible. And I've had Christmases over the years in numerous places and countries. I've had them... Um, uh, in Switzerland, because I lived there for a little while. Mm. That was interesting, because they don't really celebrate Christmas Day like we do, and they don't have turkey, they have lamb, or something like that. <laughs> and also, they all spoke French, so I didn't understand a bloody word they said. Um, <laughs> I've had Christmas in America, 
Um, I can't remember where because it was during my drinking days. So, uh, but I do know it was America because they all <coughs> spoke with a bit of a drawl. Um, <laughs> lots of Christmases in England. A Christmas in Scotland um, because I was stuck in Scotland. I say stuck. It was fantastic. Uh, just outside Edinburgh, a place called Aberlady, uh, because my eldest daughter was. Um, well, she was about to be born. She was born a, a, a month or so later mm. in Simpsons Hospital in Edinburgh, which they since have pulled down because they said it was unhygienic, <laughs> probably due to my, my visitations. Uh, so that was fantastic up in, in Scotland. I love that. I also tried to have a Christmas in Jersey in 1971, it would have been, and I went there and my eldest boy, uh, he was just a, a baby then, and we got off the plane and you had to walk across the runway and uh, these are very official men sort of came out and marched me back on the plane and said, we don't want your sort here. Uh, <laughs> so we never actually ended up spending Christmas there. Spent Christmas in the Bahamas. Uh, that was uh, that was the uh, same year because we just got on the plane and went, and went down there, which was, to be very honest, hopeless um, because um, we didn't set it up properly and I think we ended up on the day we couldn't because we booked up late we couldn't get in the restaurant at the hotel and I think we ended up getting some sort of mango sandwich somewhere or something which was pretty <laughs> grim um, so I've had lots of Christmases but you can't beat one in your own home mm. I don't think that can be that can be beaten and the thing that I'm planning so looking at a real positive future I want to have a Christmas and have all the kids and grandkids up. There's 12 grandkids, there's six kids and their various spouses that I know of, and then get them all <laughs> up and have a just a, a, a wonderful time because what they can do for me, I can just laze on the sofa and they can wait hand and foot on me. <laughs> As you deserve. <laughs> I don't think they'd agree with that. Uh, getting them all together at the same time is going to be a bit hard, but... Um, we are an interesting family. We all disagree on things, but we all get on fantastically. And it's one of those families that if the chips are down, everybody's there. Yeah, perfect. Although, just stay there for a minute. Don't go away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you my other great joy in Christmas is loud singing in the church and I do find that it's the only time I go to church because you know I'm invited to go to various charity events to read the lesson and there's nothing as we all know that um, gives an actor more satisfaction than the sound of his own voice in a church <laughs> and so uh, I do like to go <laughs> I do like to go, and I, I don't want to advertise this too much because it can end up with a sort of social round, which is a little bit difficult to, because everybody then is after you. And there are a lot of churches with carol mm. services in my Suffolk area. And I do, I always try to do a few because I like reading the lesson and I like lustily singing carols to the embarrassment of anybody who is standing around me. Quite right. Which is one of the great joys of Christmas. Absolutely. And I live with a church, which is a great adornment to the end of my garden. 
And uh, to my shame, I've never been to their midnight mass until two years ago. Um, I had another great uh, actor who likes to bellow loudly uh, singing carols with me. So the rest of the family, instead of all going, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, he was really content. So that was great. So we trudged through the field up to the church looking beautiful for the midnight mass and arrived two minutes after midnight because I was expecting a sort of, you know, sparsely attended, John Betjeman-esque, dwindling congregation (laughs) there. But as we came in, the entire village and everybody for 200 miles around had crammed into this (laughs) church. And we, with a great thump, just during the vicar's address, you know, there was a sort of grinding, banging and a turning of the of the huge cast iron door handle. To fr- and the two of us sort of stumbled into the church and the entire population of East Suffolk turned around to stare at these, this person who they all knew lived a hundred oh. yards away, but had never been into the Midnight Mass. And was late. And was exactly <laughs> late for church, wearing unsuitable clothes. <laughs> With a drunken actor in tow. With a drunken actor in tow, and we squeezed ourselves in amongst people we knew and then lustily sang <laughs> to their embarrassment. I'm coming to your house definitely to do that with you. That's my idea <laughs> of a perfect Christmas. <laughs> Annika Rice, so what is it about Christmas that you really love? Well, it's odd because I Christmas to me is just a, a random bit of the year that I'm usually working over. I mean, at the moment, I work every Christmas day because I do the sort of Radio 2 family favourite slot hmm. on Christmas Day morning. And historically, I've always worked shifts, but I've always worked at Christmas. And when I was younger, uh, as a teenager in my early 20s, I was always abroad in Hong Kong or whatever. So I actually have no emotion about Christmas at all because <laughs> I just I just haven't grown up thinking that it's this sort of place that should be, you know, absolutely kept on a pedestal and protected. Mm. So I just feel Christmas is a lovely day, but it really doesn't happen to happen unless you're very religious. Mm. And even that's up for grabs, isn't it, as to whether the actual day is the actual day. Let's have it in February. Take all the pressure off. It's a lovely day where all the family get together. For the youngsters, it's fantastic. Mm. It's all those presents, which is what it boils down to. Let's have it on February the 18th. There we go, Mike. What do you reckon? But I'm just saying perhaps we should just take the the pressure off the big day and this build-up because I'm feeding it like a pressure cooker and I don't even care about it. (laughs) And I don't think any of my family do. Certainly none of my... You're not caring, are you? You don't care. (laughs) Knowing I was doing this, I did a quick snap poll of people I met Mm. and no one I met gave a toss when (laughs) Christmas was. But uh, it's nice to have that day. Yeah. It doesn't have to be at Christmas. On that particular day, no. There was a pub by the side of Charing Cross Station. There was a pub that always had... Christmas Day on Midsummer's Day. Yes. They would put up tinsel and, yes. and sing carols Lovely. and serve Christmas <laughs> lunch. Well, let's have it, you know, like the Queen's birthday. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a couple of them spread out for all eventualities. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that in as an idea. I like it. To take that idea in the government and go with it. I won't even pretend it's my idea. I'm happy to pass it on. Okay. I'm going to start an online petition and see if we can get the half a million votes. Exactly. And then we just have to choose a nice day. I'm happy to go for April. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we could we could have it outside. Yeah. How lovely. I mean, the main thing is it's the presents for the kids. 
It's that lovely feeling of decorating the house and eating a lot, but we really can do that on many a day of the year. Indeed. I don't know whether that comes into a time capsule thing you want to keep or, or throw out. I'm a bit confused now about the <laughs> format. <laughs> whether you love it or hate it. I don't know. I think it's a bit of love know. and hate in there. That's a bit of love know. and hate. Yes, yeah. well, love enough to sort of go, well, all right, if it's that wonderful, we can do it any time we like. Any time, Mike. Yeah. Any time. I'm already looking forward to April. I might <laughs> gate crash your, your place. <laughs> You're very it welcome. Fun. Can we all come? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Annie. Brilliant. Okay, thanks, Mike. Right, let's leave Annika Rice planning for April. Oh, I love Annika. Actually, she calls me her little lava lamp. She says, I'm quite good fun to look at for a little while, but I'm not that bright. Jolly good. Let's join the comedy writer, Paul Mayhew Archer. Well, I suppose one of the things I love about Christmas is Christmas writing. I've been incredibly privileged that I've actually managed to write episodes of uh, two shows that have been out on Christmas Day, mm. which is incredibly um, thrilling for me. Uh, four episodes of The Vicar of Dibley went out on Christmas Day. Yes. Two episodes of Mrs. Brown's Boys. And um, I suppose sometimes I've mined my own experience for this. <laughs> One of the things I used was um, the way we play games in our family, which were always nightmares because we would we would always have a go at playing Monopoly. <laughs> my father and I played according to the rules mm-hmm. because we felt there's no point in having rules unless you play according to them. Whereas Julie, my wife Julie and her mum, just played as friends. <laughs> I mean, she, if Julie landed on Vine Street and her mum owned the Vine Street set, her mum would just say, oh, you just owe me the money. You don't need to pay me now. <laughs> I'm sorry, she's landed on... She's got to give you... No, but she'll be bankrupt, she'd say, if she pays me now. <laughs> and if I landed on Vine Street, she'd insist on having the £1,000, so it was favouritism. So I, I was very pleased to use that. But there hmm. were other aspects of my Christmas that I didn't use, that I wish I had used. In, in Dibley, for example, there was a time when I was the server at our local church, hmm. and it was the big service, the midnight mass. The church was packed. And I sort of gave the box of wafers to the vicar and he consecrated the wafers, turned them into the body of Christ, Mm. handed me back the box and I opened it for him upside down. (laughs) You know, they say God is everywhere. Well, his son was everywhere that (laughs) night. They were just all over the floor. (laughs) And of course, once they're consecrated, the thing is you have to eat (laughs) You can't just leave bits of Christ lying around. <laughs> Little bits of Christ. <laughs> and the vicar was having to eat them all. Meanwhile, the organist, who wasn't that good, had to play her entire repertoire because we had to clear up the whole mess. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly in the Vicar of Dibley, that might have worked. I mean, Dawn yeah. probably would have been very funny eating those things. Yes. Maybe we didn't do it because it would have um, just been offensive at Christmas. <laughs> Well, we're very nearly at the end of our My Time Capsule Christmas compilation 2020. I hope you all have a lovely Christmas and get all the presents you want. Actually, I bought my grandmother a wooden leg this year. Yeah, it's just a stocking filler. Anyway, who else could we finish with but our very first guest on My Time Capsule? Here's Stephen Fry. So, Stephen, you very kindly agreed to tell us a little Christmas Day memory for our Christmas time capsule. So, um, what do you think of when you think of Christmas Day? 
Well, now, Michael, I'd so like to be able to help you with a really thrilling and exciting and extraordinary earth-shattering Christmas <laughs> memory. But like most people, I suspect my Christmas memories are... I woke up and Father Christmas had filled my stocking and then I went down and woke up my parents and it was only three in the morning and hmm. um, then had to go back to sleep and couldn't and got overexcited and my brother and I broke three of our presents and, um, <laughs> you know, the usual. Uh, yes. Um, and then a little older, obviously, making breakfast for people who are staying in the house over, over Christmas, which I I used to do a lot, have um, guests you know, of my own age, mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. Once I was a grown-up, um, I would be a host for Christmas and uh, I'd make Eggs Benedict in the morning and, um, you know, the usual stuff, you know, a, a Buck's Fizz or a Bloody Mary and <laughs> lunch with the turkey. I mean, come on, Stephen, what's interesting about that? So I kept <laughs> thinking, everybody has that story. It's yes. the same story that we all have, which is sort of why we like Christmas and Perhaps also why it slightly pisses us off <laughs> because, you know, it just shows we're the same. And mm. anything that proves we're the same is both an insult and a great compliment, I think. Anyway, enough of metaphysics and strangeness. Um, I then had to think, was there ever a time I spent Christmas away from home where it wasn't a, a, a typical British Christmas? And mm. I thought, oh, yes, there have been occasions. There was one... And I tell it only because it was a happy and extraordinary time when I'd contributed to this musical, Me and My Girl, which mm. had been on in the West End and then transferred to Broadway and was becoming something of a of a success and a surprise for me. Um, and uh, I went with the director, Mike Ockrent, to Australia to open a production there in Melbourne, and that was terrific fun. Mm. And it was Christmas time, summer in Australia, of course. Of course. And so we decided that... Mike and I would go to the Whitson Isles uh, on the Great Barrier Reef uh, to celebrate Christmas. And we booked into a hotel on Hamilton Island, which mm. is just right there on the reef. And Billy Connolly and his wife, Pamela Stevenson, were staying in the same hotel as us. <laughs> it's wonderful. Really, really marvellous. Except that I, on Christmas Eve, went out by the into the pool... Um, I had one of those bars, you know, where you sit at a stool, actually, where your bottom's underwater, but the rest of you mm. is above water, and you drink Mai Tais and all the rest of it. And then I sunbathed a bit, fell asleep, and when I woke up, I was just one enormous blister. That's all that was, <laughs> just a huge, great, lobster-coloured blister. <laughs> and... Um, so I spent all of Christmas Day with heat stroke and sunburn. Oh, no. Of the most severe kind, uh, in the shade and cool of the room in the hotel. Oh. It took me about four days to recover. Pathetic. But uh, that's <laughs> the only Christmas story I can think of, which is slightly different from my otherwise essentially Oh, normal Christmas stories <laughs> in which I sit in a sofa stuffing myself while watching James Stewart saying, um, you know, I'm alive. <laughs> Thank you, Clarence. I want to live. Um, and all of that. Mm. So uh, that's that's all I can offer you. I, I feel hopeless. I, I really ought to have a story far more interesting which involves a miracle or an act of kindness or... Mm. A, 
a tragedy or uh, something <laughs> extreme instead of the boring normalcy of it. But perhaps in the end, that's what the Christmas message is, Michael. Uh, Being just normal, mm -hmm. connected to our friends and family. Yeah. Something we take very seriously in this year of COVID. Mm. Anyway, there you are. That's enough from me. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Lots of love. Merry Christmas. You have been listening to My Christmas Time Capsule 2020 with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and lots of lovely guests. Don't forget that you can hear all of our guests in their own full-length My Time Capsule episodes, available from all good podcast providers. We hope you have a very lovely Christmas, and we'll leave you with the My Time Capsule motto. Be good to each other, always be happy, and never forget that an owl in a sack troubles no man. Merry Christmas. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.